Hey y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do wanna let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. you better use that opportunity to make your work as weird and as wonderful as you want to, you know. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show is about commercial art, making a good living and making great art. That's what we're trying to do. Let's jump in. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you wanna hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site, It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Next week is episode 100 and I am pumped out of my mind for this episode. I'm doing a few different things. Uh, Will you help me on two of those things? One, if you have had any major breakthroughs 
because of Creative Pep Talk. Would you send me a little audio recording of your story by Friday? This Friday, what is it, August 5th? Would you, August 5th, 2016, in case you're listening in the future. Uh, just a little audio recording. You can literally open the voice recorder on on your iPhone or your smartphone or whatever and just just a little thing says, hey, this is my name. Uh, you know, I got this idea from Creative Pep Talk or blah, blah, blah. However, it's impacted you. If it's impacted you in a significant way of any kind, it can be big story, small story. Would you send that little recording to me at andy at andy-j-miller.com? I'd really, really appreciate that. And then also, I'm going to let you guys interview me for this episode. So if you have a question, it doesn't have to be about creative career advice. I do that a lot already. <laughs> it can be about, you know, me personally, things that you've been curious about, um, things that maybe I've hinted at that I didn't really jump into deeper um, about my, you know, my personal life or my childhood, if you really want to get to know my childhood. <laughs> no, just any, anything that you might be interested in. Send me your questions on Twitter at Andy J Pizza. Really, really, really appreciate that. I'm super pumped for this episode. Thanks, guys. Arriving at your very difficult decision. Uh, it was a rather risky thing to do, but uh, we felt all that uh, we were taking no Today on the show, we've got Austin Cleon. This guy is phenomenal. Seriously, man, so much creative wisdom. You know, he's an accomplished artist and writer as well as a creative thinker and helper of creative people. So he has three books. One is Newspaper Blackout, which feature his kind of poems where he takes newspaper articles and blacks out parts of them and reveals a different message, uh, his own kind of message, and they're really, really sublime. And uh, I, I love seeing those on Instagram. You should go follow him there too. Uh, but you know, I love that work. And then he also has two books that are meant to help creative people. There's steal like an artist and share your work. And they're both are chocked full of creative gems of wisdom. You can go check those out and go check out all of his talks and resources online. Go to the show notes at creativepeptalk.com and you can find that. We had a really, really good conversation. We got into all kinds of different topics. Moomin, if you know about that. Uh, Art school, we touched upon those things. We talked about seniors being a part of a creative group or crew or gang or whatever you want to call it. Uh, Geography, where you live and how that affects your creativity. And, And we kind of ruminate on that topic. I had a really, really good time. I really appreciate Austin. Um, being on the show it means a lot to me. I'm a big fan. I know you're going to love this. And if you're not already familiar with him, you need to go dive in because uh, I know that fans of the podcast are going to be into all of his jazz. Okay, here it is, Austin Cleon. And a little note, if you got kiddos around or, or uh, what have you, be aware that there is some language in this episode. Thanks, guys. Here he is. Yeah, let's just go for it. All right, yeah. So we're talking about Moomin. 
And, and I've been, so it's probably not a secret to all of my, uh, the followers that follow me for my illustration that I'm a massive Moomin fan, but I noticed that you were like sharing some comic strips recently. Yeah, I, um, I came to her work, uh, not that long ago, um, when my, let me think about this. I think, I think when my second son was born, um, I think I got the, I think I got the deluxe Moomin comics, mm. um, that drawn and quarterly put out i think i got that for a christmas present yeah and amazing. jules was yeah and jules was born in uh march so i have this thing that happens uh, and hopefully it'll never happen again um because i don't plan on having any more children but uh <laughs> for, for each um for each kid um during my kind of crazed uh, first year sleep deprivation. Yeah. Um, I couldn't really d- read anything intensely other than like comics at right. night. Yeah. So um, the first kid, it was funny. It was Nancy strips by, yeah. uh, you know, Ernie Bushmiller. I'm not and, really familiar with that. Oh, well, you know, I'll Nancy's great. I think Nancy is one of those comics that is really um, seems like it would be so lame and boring yeah. that why would you ever bother reading Nancy? Yeah. But actually, um, if you kind of if you get those Fantagraphics collections, they're they're really All beautifully right. produced, but they um, they're very they're very very the reason um, they're so dumb is that they're so well done. Like they go, they're like, it's like drinking water. It just like goes down (laughs) so easily. But when you really read them, you realize that like, this is such masterful cartooning Mm. that you don't notice it. And that's the reason why the strips are so good. Uh, But one of the things that really interested me about Nancy was that the the strips are actually very avant-garde, some of Mm. them. I mean, you know, he's writing them in like the 40s and the 50s. So there's all these like really strange strips where like, you know, um, just the visual gags and Mm. and they Bushmiller does a lot with like signs and cutting up like, you know, Nancy and Sluggo will like they'll like cut up a sign or something and repost it. So it says what they want it to say, ah, you know, just cool. like weird stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my first kid, it was Nancy strips. And I just sat around and read <laughs> Nancy at night before I passed out. Yeah. And then the second kid was Moomin. Mm. And um, the amazing thing about Moomin is that I think it's probably one of the greatest. I think it's one of the greatest depictions of family life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Probably of anywhere yes. i mean it, it it is it is by far my favorite portrayal of a family and if you if your listeners haven't actually read moomin um it's about this group of you know imaginary animals who live in a house together and there's moomin mama and she kind of take care of, mm. she takes care of the house and everything and then there's moomin papa and Moomin Papa is always working on his memoirs. Yes. And he wears a top hat. I massively relate yeah. to that character. Yeah. And I think and he, then, like, drinks whiskey and just yeah, is like, he's, yeah. And he's always, like, uh, there's one of my favorite panels is, like, oh, this family life is really happy. And, <laughs> or, no, Moomin Mama says, isn't this family life so pleasant and wonderful? And Moomin Papa is, like, he's kind of scowling and yeah. he says, Yes, but it'd be nice if something terribly exciting would happen, you know. And yeah. it's just this kind of vibe of, 
I mean, it's. Um, I I think a lot of it is based on uh, Tovianson's um, upbringing because mm-hmm. she was brought up by a couple of artists. So, um, but but I but I think those two strips. Uh, I, I'm a huge fan of comic strip collections, mm. not graphic novels, not comic yeah. books, but I love collections of newspaper strips. Like yes. I was brought up on those, and I used to get like, you know, like Garfield strips from like the bookmobile and so that yeah. like anytime i can find like a really great uh like like the complete peanuts is my you know like i if i had to you know send something in a time capsule up into space you know yeah. like definitely the complete peanuts don't you, you think know? that uh peanuts and moomin have a really similar vibe in that they ha- i mean i guess moomin is more obviously existential but i feel like there's a real similarity there. Um, like Peanuts and Charles Schultz is like another one of my heroes, but I feel like they did such a good job of like masking these big existential uh, ideas in like a kid's comic. Um, I, yeah, I do. I think that, you know, as far as, I think they complement each other pretty well because, mm-hmm. you know, Peanuts is fairly... To me, I don't know. They're just so different. But you're right. They do. I, I think what both strips do um, that's so brilliant that all you know good art does is that they're really like diaries for the cartoonist. Mm. I mean, I, I feel very much when I'm reading Moomin that I'm getting um, – there's a cartoonist named Bruce Eric Kaplan who – uh, draws for the New Yorker, and he he said one time that he said my comics are like coded diaries. Mm. That if you, you know, you can't tell exactly what happens about in my life from my strips. But he said, you know, these really are the diary of my life. This is me processing my life, and mm. so I think that certainly when I read Peanuts, it's very much this guy. You know, I I feel very much like Schultz is working out. Um, things in his life through the strip and also that each character is um part of his personality yeah you know um and the wide range of characters get to cover his various interests you know like he was a huge classical music buff and Mm -hmm. so he got to like um explore that through schroeder you know he was uh you know he was a you know so it's like different stuff like that and i i feel the same way in movement i feel like you know, um, Janssen kind of created this incredible world with all these different characters, but I feel like she's, you know, just like every other good artist, is, is she's really um, examining her own experience yeah. you know, through the strip. And actually, uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about was uh, this idea of providing value in, in your work, and I want to kind of get to that, but a question that I... Uh, don't even really know how to articulate, but uh, I'm going to take a stab at it, is, you know, your poems, they seem to have that similar thing that you're talking about where they're autobiographical or you're saying something um, personal and you're really using other people's words. But did you feel starting out, like when you started making creative work, um, that you weren't quite quite hitting it. Like for me personally, as I, I feel like I was making illustration um, for five or six years before I actually started doing whatever that artistic thing actually is. Like actually 
putting myself in it. Did you feel like you were kind of spinning your wheels for a long time before it started to actually come through? Well, I mean, I, I feel in terms of technique and ability that for many years I kind of like spun my wheels. Um, but I think the thing to remember about my work is, um, well, first of all, I don't consider myself an illustrator. Right. And, uh, yeah. And and the, the, the thing about my work is that, you know, um, I – in case anyone listening doesn't know about, and I'll give them a brief kind of okay, summary before yeah. we jump in um, on the show. So, but with the newspaper blackout poems, um, those were literally what I did to entertain myself when I wasn't at work, right? Or or when I was at work and I was on break, and mm-hmm. so those poems actually began in a kind of desperation to do something. Um, to do to have some sort of personal expression, right? And so you know they really started out by trying to. They were my diaries. I mean, they were always really personal. I mean, they started out, and it's kind of funny actually now that you mention it because I, my original impulse was to say they were always personal, but I remember when I first started doing them, a lot of them were in third person, mm. so they would use other people's names, like they would use names in the articles. So it would be like, Steve's really sad today, you know, or something stupid like that. But um, over time, it's funny because I don't actually, I never hardly do third person anymore. I'll do first person which I with I, or I'll do um, second person with you. Mm. So it'd be like you are sad, <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> but um, but but really, to your point is, um, I never really had trouble expressing myself in my early work because it wasn't um, like it wasn't client work and it wasn't right. it wasn't anything that I was trying to make money off of or sell or anything like that um, because I never anticipated having uh what you would think of as like a creative um career i mean when i first started out um i primarily thought of myself as a writer and when i was in college i had a professor who was just like look you know writers have rarely been able to make a living off right. of what they do and most of you even if you continue to write you know, the, statistically, the majority of you will never make a living mm. writing the kind of work that you love and appreciate and that kind of thing. And yeah. it sounds really depressing now, but <laughs> really what he was saying was, you know, get a day job, go mm. out there, work for a while, find a thing that you can rely on for money and then pour yourself into it. You know, it was the it was the basic day job thing. And so I really started out with this idea of I'll never really be, you know, I'll I'll never necessarily make a living off this stuff. I'm just going to get jobs that don't make me want to kill myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm going to have them and then I'm going to do whatever I want um, in the meantime. And it sounds and- like. Sorry. Yeah, you can continue. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing about that approach is that there's that is only a great approach if you want to make work that is I mean, a wastefulness of that approach would be to do work that was attempting to be 
I'm trying to think of how to explain this. I mean, if your money isn't coming from your work, then you better use that opportunity to make your work as weird and as wonderful as mm. you want to, you know, because I think when you start out and you're, you know, the pressures of the market are always as such that you're going to compromise your work a little bit. Right. You know, in order to make things that are sellable. But, you know, when you have a day job, I mean, you can be as weird or as unproductive or as wacky or, you know. Yeah. And it as sounds like you want. It sounds like what your uh, professor had said kind of took the pressure off, even if it was kind of depressing. Uh, it allowed you to feel free to make your creative work as personal and kind of pure as possible. Yeah. And it not only um, it not only freed me up that way it also freed me up genre wise because i had always conceived of myself as a fiction writer in mm. college because they really don't give you that many choices in college if you study writing or at least where i studied writing it's like yeah well you're either a poet or a fiction writer or you're in journalism school like mm. that's pretty much it um and you know i got out of college and i was still trying to write short stories and suddenly I realized I don't give a shit about short stories. Yeah. Like, yeah. like reading short stories. I mean, yeah. there are several, there are wonderful short stories out there, but like the literary short story as a genre, I could care less about really. <laughs> yeah. And so like, that was this moment where it was like, holy crap, I'm out of school and like no one buys short stories anyway. Mm. So like, I, I felt this like liberation. Whereas like in college, I was trying to kill myself to like, you know, write these, you know, uh, uh, New Yorkery epiphany like short stories yeah. about miserable people. Yeah. You know, and then I started making the blackout poems. Which the blackout poems, I mean, anyone in their right, no one in their right mind would think that those were going to be commercial. Mm. You know, I yeah. mean, like it's about like there's no like if someone had, I, you know, they were never supposed to be commercial. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they, but then they ended up, you know, leading to something that was. And so, uh, I don't, I don't want to derail the conversation too much with we're that. We're just going to go, actually, I we're just going to go with it because I, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, this idea of, uh, kind of like combinatorial creativity, but it's this idea of seemingly contradictory things. One of the things I always push my students on and, and the listeners of the podcast is like, whenever you come up against something that seems like a contradiction, that should be like a red flag that you're getting somewhere where creativity can be a bridge and you can actually do something new. And it sounds like, you know, from what I know about your story is that you were always interested in combining words and pictures, but there was no obvious place to do that or no one had done it in a way that like kind of rang true for you. Yeah. So, um, there, it took me a long time to, I never really felt comfortable around cartoonists because I knew that, well, first of all, all cartoonists are nuts. Right. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but actually I have a lot of friends who are cartoonists, Me but too. they are, they're right. all crazy. Yeah. Um, but then I never really, uh, I didn't necessarily just want to do cartoons. Like there just wasn't, it took me so long to find the kind of stuff that I wanted to do. Mm. Um, but I think that 
I think that what you said is right, that you kind of, I think one way to be, you know, Loretta Lynn said you either have to be first grade or different. Right. And, and I've always kind of, you know, I've always deconstructed that quote as, okay, first means nothing. Mm. Because if you're first, like history has shown that if you're first to do something, it really doesn't matter. It's not actually going to, yeah, it's not actually going to turn out that great for you in the, in any way. In, in the long run, if you look at history, people who did things first, you know, they usually get burned at the stake or they end up, (laughs) you know, penniless. So, so, okay, we'll take off first. Um, so the next thing's great. Okay, well, great is just, it's such a matter of, uh, it's almost impossible. I mean, mm. to be truly great, it takes such effort. Um, and there's always someone better than you. Yes. Like always in everything. And so, okay, we can cross great off. So then different comes up. And, you know, at the risk of sounding like the old Apple ad, you know, it's like, okay, right. different. This is something, you know, yes. this is literally something that we can do because, um, and, and the way I always thought about different is, you know, um, in my book, Show Your Work, I write about Brian Eno's concept of seniors. I want to talk to you about that. That's a whole big mess yeah. that I want to dive so, into. So seniors, uh, as Eno kind of describes it, is the collective form of genius. It's the opposite of what we think of when we think of the, you know, the tortured um, soul in his hovel just kind of like, you know, ripping things, bleeding onto the page, you know. Yes. Um, in solitude, um, this special genius individual. Um, uh, Senius is kind of a corrective to genius in that, you know, uh, Eno's proposal is that great ideas and creative work is the result of one mind connected to other minds. And so you take someone like Beethoven. I mentioned Beethoven before. Um, you know, Beethoven was probably the closest thing to a genius that we have. Right. Um, you know, just superhumanly talented and, and, you know, I mean, the guy wrote music when he was deaf. That's mm. not actually a myth. <laughs> yeah. Like, he really did. But um, – Beethoven, when you start reading about him, it's like, oh, yeah, he's this genius, but he's also connected in this very rich genius. I mean, he's born in Bonn, Germany, which at the time was this like hotbed of musical activity. He had this grandfather who was a great musician. His dad was a dick, but also like yeah. pushed him really hard. And then he had this like amazing uh, kind of, you know, he had patrons and he had this rich scene in which he could, you know, not only write his music, but he could get it made. You know, mm-hmm. he could get the orchestra to produce it. And so uh, throughout history, you find these the, these examples, which is, yes, this person that gets literally put up on a pedestal. You know, you see like the big bust of Beethoven and he's always scowling and it's just him from the shoulders up. You know, you don't see his hands or anything like the the things that actually made the music. You just see his big (laughs) scowling head, you know, and um, and so, you know, but in all of these examples, you will find like almost behind every genius, you'll find a genius. Mm. I mean, it's very rare to find that kind of isolated individual who's able to like really... Uh, um, you know, do something on their own, and even when they do, it's it's there's some sort of influence. There's some sort of um, whether it's environmental or through books or whatever. But anyway, the point is, I think that we're in this 
you know, I think like the internet in particular is this gigantic network in which it's sort of like a genius mm. in that you're connected to all this different stuff. Um, but your value in a genius really depends not necessarily on only what you can do as far as your talent and your ability, but your ability to connect uh, other things and other people in the genius. Mm. And so, you know, um, I think what's interesting about Seniors is it really opens up um, parts for other people in the story of creative work. Because for every person then who right. wants to be a writer, there needs to be a, an editor. There needs to be someone who can publish the work. There needs to be someone who can promote the work, you know, or that, you know, that kind of, there needs to be someone who can read the work, most importantly. And so... If you start thinking about art or creativity or illustration in terms of this gig uh, in terms of finding a genius rather than being a genius, yeah, I think it opens up a lot of possibilities for particularly for young illustrators. So, for example, you know, when I came on, you know, when I was coming up in the, I don't know, I started a blog when I was like, I don't know, 2005. Mm. So, like over 10 years ago, you know. Um, this is going to sound really funny, but um, <laughs> images on blogs weren't a big thing yet. Right. I mean, yeah. blogs they were more were like journals or something. Yeah, yeah. Blogs were primarily text. Um, mm. And then I saw uh, Post Secret was a huge deal for me, that Frank Warren site. Not necessarily because of the content, because I, but because I realized, well, this is just all images. If you don't know what Post Secret is, um, for those of people who are listening, that's the site where people send their secrets in on postcards to this guy named oh, Frank right. Warren yeah, and he posts that. them online. So when I saw that site, I thought, oh, wow, you can put images on a blog. Mm. Well, that really changes. I was like, well, every writer's starting a blog now. But I was like, wait a minute. If I can make images and put them on a blog, that expands the possibility of Being what... Different of what I can do, right? And yeah. so then I started thinking, well, how can I make my blog visual? And then that's when the blackout poems happened because I was like, I had a scanner. And again, this sounds stupid, <laughs> but not everyone had a scanner yes. back then. And certainly, and it wasn't like you could just pick up your phone and take a picture of it, you know? Yeah. I mean, so it was kind of interesting uh, just that I'm going to do something different. That, that impulse alone really... Um, you know, started things out for me. And, and, you know, I'll give you another example. I noticed, um, you know, I noticed when people went to read, I loved, you know, I wanted to be a writer. So I wanted to go to readings mm. and I was like, well, you know, people go to readings and maybe they'll take a picture or maybe they'll write it up or something. I want to draw readings. Mm. Like I can draw. I mean, I'm not that good, but like, I should draw at readings. So mm. I started taking my sketchbook to fiction readings and, and stuff. And, and, and so I started drawing people as they were reading. It, actually, fiction readings are perfect places to draw people because they're actually pretty still. Right, I mean, they're just yeah. like reading from a book unless they're, you know. And so I started drawing pictures of people, of authors doing readings. And then I said, well, maybe I can start like kind of doing cartoons where like what they're reading is in balloons around, you know. And so yeah. I started doing these notes. And then when I was done, I would post them to the blog. 
Well, this amazing thing happened where I realized that, you know, whether writers are lonely or egotistical or what, people love it when you draw them. And so I realized, huh, well, uh, I would hear from these people that I drew. So one guy I drew, a guy named Dan Sean, who runs the creative writing program at Oberlin. I was living in Cleveland at the time. You know, Dan was like, hey, I really like your drawings. Like, do you want to get a cup of coffee sometime? You live in my neighborhood. And I was like, sure, you know. And so then Dan, like, kind of was just nice to me and didn't, like, give me a job or anything. But he was like, hey, you should come to Oberlin. There's going to be this this woman named Linda Berry is going to be there talking. Like, you should come. You should come see her. I think you'd like her work. And, you know, then I'm, you know, so it was like stuff like that um, where, you know, it was just like, what do I have? What can I do? that's that's interesting that's gonna kind of like i don't know make you stand just, out a little bit yeah make you me stand out but more than that like what can i offer you yes. know you talked about value before like what can i offer people that's different than what they have like and to me my whole um my whole thing about like watching the readings or listening to the readings and then drawing them was it was kind of a reporter thing it was like well anyone who can't be here you know, I'm taking this information and putting it in a format that might be useful for someone else. Yes. Uh, and awesome. so that's always my that's always my meter is like, is this going to be helpful or useful to others? And you might have. Um, uh, I sorry, you you can keep going there. I was going to ask you about your uh, flow chart of helpful and and interesting in terms oh, right. of rating so, value. Um, yeah. So there's a chart in my book, Show Your Work, which is. Uh, my book, Steal Like an Artist, is kind of about, you know, how to be creative, how to kind of build a creative life. And then uh, show your work is more about, like, uh, getting discovered or putting your stuff out there. It's it's really a book about self-promotion for yeah. people who hate self-promotion. Yeah. So uh, um, read everyone, you know, <laughs> except for Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, no, but it's like um, – but, but, you know, it's uh, – there's a chart in there. It's like, should I share this? And um, the question is, is it helpful or interesting? And those two, if it's helpful, yeah, share it. You know, if it's interesting, sure, go ahead and share it. If it's not, then don't share. You know, that yeah. asking that question, hopefully it's both interesting and helpful at mm. the same. Like, that's the really good stuff. But um, kind of giving yourself that test as to what you put out in the world. Because I think one thing that's happened that I think is really bad for young yeah. illustrators is that the um, the idea of making and sharing has completely, like, fused. So, like, right. the, it's so easy to share something you've made right away mm. yeah. now that the idea of making and sharing something is, is, like, too close. So, you know, I mean, now... I mean, the minute I finish a piece in my studio, I can just jump online and share it immediately. And all of a sudden, like, you know, people are liking it, you know, they're, they're at replying me, you know, and that's Mm. just never, I mean, up until like, what, five years ago or whatever, that's just never been the case. Like you've never been able to publicly like publish, get get that feedback and, you know, yeah, exactly. Do you Um, think, at at least in the visual arts, I mean, like, you know, you, you were able to write something and publish it like what, you know, 20 years ago, but you know, the, the web's not 
you know, is pretty old. But, you know, as far as like making drawing something, Instagramming it immediately, you know, that's like yeah. a new thing. And I think that, you know, certainly um, there's a kind of impatience there's this there's this thing that happens where you just have to be really careful that you're not like thinking too much about the product you right. know as you're working you're like you, oh well you know if i draw it this big it won't translate to instagram very well you know it's just like stuff like that do you think that they're like i think we're familiar with how these metrics can kind of kill your purity and your soul as an artist but <laughs> do you think like there are valuable ways of using these online metrics or not? Um, yes, I think that, um, I think that one of the things that, so, so one thing that I think is really, um, weird now is that I think that the one thing that really worries me about young illustrators, particularly ones that try immediately to make a living, right. is that I feel like there's kind of this – you're producing merch right away, right? right. Like, yeah. like so there was um, – there. Were, I feel very much like there's so much work being done that's like immediately – like t-shirt work, you know, it's like that thing where like it, you're, you're immediately, you're producing the work knowing what the thing's going to be and how you're going to sell it. And the thing about that is I, I try really hard in my work to have, um, a a kind of not knowing Mm. part of the day where it's like, um, I'm trying to make things without knowing where they're going. Yes. Um, I think it's very – so going back to the day job thing, I think the trouble with having your creative work be your primary breadwinning is that even if you spend – like when I used to get back from my day job, I could sit down at my computer and say – or at my desk or whatever and say, okay, now I'm going to make something I really want to make just for the – heck of it yes right now how many people do you know that spend all day in their studio working on like stuff for their freelance stuff and then they at the end of the day they're like okay well now i'm going to do what i really like something for the heck of it right yeah it's like you've used all that juice all day doing your like doing what's making you money yep and so and so this is like this is the challenge right because like if you're someone like me you got into art um because you wanted to use it as a way of exploring your experience and i yeah and i sorry sorry to cut you off you want to keep going i can i'm go ahead well i i would pause it i mean my my feeling about writing and drawing and making things is that, um, and the arts in general is that, you know, the arts are a way of exploring your experience, exploring your world, processing it, not necessarily even understanding it, but processing it, figuring it out, um, maybe understanding it, maybe not communicating it, but like really understanding it, um, is it, I mean, the best writing is uh, an act of bringing forth what you think and feel yes. and crystallizing it into a form so that you can look at it and say, wow, that really is what I think. Mm. 
or actually no that's not what i really think i need to edit this and like so much of it is a process of self-discovery um this was a massive problem for me early on yeah yeah because i go ahead well when you use that process um purely as a uh commercial act or when you use some of those skills as purely uh, an act of commerce or, you know, client work, it just gets tricky. Yes. And it, it doesn't does. necessarily get, you know, destroyed. It just gets tricky. Yeah. And so I think that that is really the challenge. And, and I'm not um, – the reason I bring it up is it's a challenge for me constantly. I mean, you know, even even though I am doing – you know, pretty well with, with what I do right now. Um, you know, I didn't get into this to write creativity books. Yes, you know, right. I mean, like yeah. I didn't, I mean, and it's so weird cause I meet people who they're, they're, I do meet people whose ambition it is in life to write advice books or creativity books. Yes. Right. Which I think is, I think these people, I, I feel like, <laughs> I don't understand them because right. for me, um, my books came out of my own experience. Yes. Like, and, and they, they were, uh, products of me trying to figure these things out. Yes. And the reason why I haven't written another one is that I haven't, um, figured out what I'm figuring out yet. Yes. <laughs> right? right. Yeah. And, and so uh, this is so good. So, um, you know, if I were to do another book, um, you know, the question becomes, are you going to do another kind of um, advicey like creativity book or are you going to do something that's more, um, you know, interviews or stories or, you know, something more wacky or, yeah. you know, like, I mean, that but that that, too, is an artistic decision. Um, mm. What sort of work to take on? is just as important of a choice as, you know, what color pencil you're going to use yeah. on a piece. You know what I mean? I mean, like... And bigger the, than there's, that, even. Yeah, there's... Uh, art is always, you know, it's always about the choices you make, and certainly it's as much about the choices in your career as it is actually making the art. Yeah, and when I... So you basically told my story, because when I, <laughs> when I started, uh, you know, right out of school... So I'm 30 now, and I've been mm-hmm. an illustrator... Um, uh, full time for, you know, probably five or six years or something. And, uh, when I first started though, you know, I graduated with an illustration portfolio and essentially nowhere that, that I really wanted to work where it would hire me because that, you know, there's just not a lot of full-time jobs for that kind of work. Yeah. And so at first I was at a graphic design studio and I would go home and I wouldn't, like you said, I wouldn't have any energy to do my own stuff because I just, I was doing that kind of pseudo creativity all day. Um, and, and I actually ended up working as a, uh, in a social work situation, which, because I didn't want to do the pseudo creative work anymore. And that really like allowed me to go home and feel really creative. And, and that was a good switch for me and it wasn't like killing my soul. But I think for me early on, I think when you're, when you're 20, years old and you have all the greats telling you that you really have to have an opinion in your work. You have to work through, uh, you know, life and that all that (laughs) stuff. You're like, 
I don't like I didn't know it at the time, but I remember just thinking, what do you mean? Like, I don't yeah. know what yeah. you're. And so I was doing that like hollow work. And that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, where it wasn't until like five years into life kind of beating me up that I started to feel like I was actually doing art. It was like, oh, okay, now this is like has some of my voice in it, and this is what it's supposed to actually be like. Um, but yeah, I definitely that resonates with me, and I think uh, having that space um, where you're not putting the pressure on your work to make money uh, is just you know, there's no other way. You have to have that time, and I think your twenties. For a lot of people, that's probably a good space and time to be working all that out. I think your 20s are a fantastic jo- time to have a job that you don't really even care about. Yes. But you're, you know, you're waiting tables or you're working part-time somewhere. Um, I think the challenge of, you know, I think on a wire, I think in a wider sense, um, the, the generation coming up, probably a little less for mine, but, you know, the generation's coming up now. Uh, I think part of the problem is, is that, you know, you go to college and you, if you go to college, you know, I I would say your typical art student, for example, comes out of art school with, I mean, I I can't even imagine how much it costs to go to like, absolutely scat or something, you know, like, or, or I I mean, it, it has to be, I mean, you've got art students coming out of school with $200,000 worth of debt. I know. Um, so uh, to me, that is that is kind of the um, – that's the gross story that I don't think a lot of people you know, want to talk about, which yes. is there's a whole generation of people right now who have not only chosen a life that's not that lucrative – They've paid for it already. <laughs> this is a giant, giant thing. That's on my mind all the time. Yeah. And so, um, you know, the greatest thing that happened to me, and I was so lucky, is um, I had a guidance counselor as a mother, and mm-hmm. uh, she knew, you know, my mom kind of took me aside and she said, look, college is really expensive. Um, if you you have options, but if you uh, I grew up in Ohio, and there are a lot of really good state schools in Ohio. Yeah, and she was like, "Look, if you can be valedictorian, there are all these um, scholarships that you can get, mm. and if you do really, really well in high school and in school, uh, you can get scholarships to go to college, mm. and you can get most of it paid for." Yeah. Um, and so I had someone telling me very early on, look, school is a game. And if you play it, there are rewards at the end. Mm. If you can do, if you use the system and don't let the system use you, my mom, my mom, if she like listens to this is going to cringe. But (laughs) so like, I mean, we, I mean, it was always a thing of mine is I want to go to college and I want to go for like no money. Mm. Like I, I want someone else to pay for it. And yes. so I did, I went to uh, Miami university in Ohio. I went on a full ride and I studied writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I used the opportunity to study pretty much whatever I wanted to. And when I graduated from college, I had no debt. And that's kind of that, that's kind of what I tell people. Like, if you if because I think that space and time to explore is invaluable, 
And if you can do it, uh, if you can go to an art school and you can do it without leaving in giant, giant amounts of debt, that can be a phenomenal choice for you. And actually, um, I recently paused teaching at an art school to kind of try it, to explore different options online um, just to help the people that that's not a good option for. Because yeah. you come out, I've actually read the stats of like, you know, there are a lot of people that come out the other side of that. And the reason they can't pursue a career in art is because of their debt. They from went art to art school. school. Yeah. <laughs> And, oh, that just exploded my I'm, mind. I was well, like, it's no, gross. it's, it's so gross, gross. And, it's, yeah. and it's criminal. I mean, it's not criminal, but I mean, it's like it's borderline criminal. But, you know, <laughs> the funny thing is, is it's not just for artists. And I know it's not. This is something that um, if I can get up on a soapbox, yeah. like this is something that artists need to stop doing is they need to stop complaining about the artist's plight because it's mm. not just the artist's plight as we've seen recently in politics is that it is not about you know artists needing grant money and housing and health care it's about everyone needing right. that yeah, i mean true. so one of my jobs that i had um i was a web designer for a while at the ut school of law um here in austin mm. and uh and one of my jobs was to update the financial aid website. Right. And <laughs> every like year, every year, I would list the average debt of a student, which I think at the time was sixty to eighty thousand dollars a year, mm. um, which is so much. Mm. <laughs> and then, you know, you'd start um, typing in. I started typing in the average salaries in the different sectors. Yeah. So it was like, okay, well, you know, yeah, well, yeah, you've got eighty thousand dollars worth of debt, but you know, when you get out, you'll uh, you'll you can get this corporate job that pays one hundred and thirty a year, right. and which you're thinking, okay, um, great. Yeah. But then um, you look down, and it's like, uh, government lawyer you know, average starting salary, it's like 40,000, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And so immediately you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like not only like this is true of, you know, law students too, is it's like, okay, well, yeah, you can go to law school and get a law degree, but then, um, you know, you're going to have to choose jobs based on your debt, what pays. Yep. And so you might end up, you know, like, um, you know, my cousin's a DUI attorney. Mm, yeah. And it's like, you know, uh, I mean, like she's she, someone's got to defend, you know, someone's got to do that work. Yes. But it's like, you know, there's there's all you know, but these are the questions that you uh, but but this is nothing that anyone says to students. No, <laughs> it isn't. Oh, I mean, and no one says this. And everyone is just like, go to school. You know, all all debt is good debt. You, you know, education <laughs> yeah. debt is good debt. You know, and it's just it's a scam. And, yeah. and everyone and anyone who's listening to this who is young enough to, to make those choices, just think really, really carefully yes. about the kinds of debt you're taking on. If you've got rich parents, good for you. Like, yeah, and uh, that's what I know, say honey. is that you know some of the best illustrators in the world come from art school, and the and some of the best you know the best learning you can do are in those programs a lot of times. But, uh, and so if you can do that, so I'm not like, 
I'm not slating these art schools. I know some sure. amazing artists that 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 credit their entire uh, existence to that time spent there. And so I'm, you know, I'm definitely not against them. But um, I, as someone who has started to um, have people, uh, you know, a few people look at me um, for creative career advice. Uh, that just started to weigh on me really heavily. Like I need to think about how I'm positioning myself in relationship to this big problem. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, and, and I think that no matter who you are, um, you need to understand that education and school are not the same thing. Right. Totally true. Your job is to get an education and to- that you can get that in school, but you can also get that elsewhere. Can I ask you a question about that? Um, about seniors. So the idea of seniors is something, uh, I don't talk about it explicitly, but I've heard you talk about it. And I'm always telling people that, you know, you need to get around the people that are doing the types of things that you're interested in. Uh, and I wondered if you had any like practical, tactical kind of like ways of approaching that for someone that maybe can't go to go to art school, how can they start to connect with these groups of people? Well, I mean, I think the first thing to do is to use social media um, to follow them, celebrate their work. Mm. Uh, You know, when I was coming up, um, that was what blogging was for me. It was, um, you know, looking at people's work, uh, posting about it, sharing it, talking about it. Um, You know, if you want fans, you have to be a fan first. Mm. Um, and you know, one thing that I think students waste their time on is not joining the world that they want to be a part of as soon as they can. Yeah. Um, and I think that school once again is, um, I've been reading a lot of books about education in school lately, so I'm probably coming off as more anti-school than I really (laughs) am. But, um, one of the problems with school is that it divorces you from the outside world. I mean, school is a, is a safe kind of walled off place um and uh what i think people who know what world they want to be in right. which is a huge battle when you think about it Absolutely. you know what you actually want to do and the types of people you want to be around that's like half the battle right there yes um trying to immediately join that world um as soon as you can and not as a uh, uh, a dominant personality as, as someone who um, every world needs different roles to be played. And so, you know, when you think about what I, I, the, the least you can do for the people that you are wanting to meet and be around and that kind of thing is to share their work is to yes. talk about it say, I love this and this is why and be really smart about it and not be creepy and not expect anything from it, Mm. but to celebrate and share the things you love. And then I think one way that students can be incredibly uh, valuable to people who they want to learn from and to, you know, mentors or heroes or whatever is that, they can be a source of um, education themselves. And I heard I you mean, uh, talk. You you can go ahead. Well, I mean, if I was a student who say you love, um, I mean, students. It's like uh, you know, students always complain about how they don't have any time, and it's like you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, 
Yeah, right. Like, but grow like, up how much time? See how know, much like, time what, you got. Well, it's like you know, how much time does it take to like throw a Tumblr blog up where you every yeah. day post a. Um, you know, I'm always thinking like when I was in elementary school, uh, or not in elementary school, when I was in junior high, we would look at like my teacher would get up and show us a painting every day and we'd have to draw it and we'd have oh, to write yeah. about it. That's cool. Like start a daily, you know, start some sort of daily blog where whatever you love every day you post like one little thing about it mm-hmm. that would be interesting to anyone in your field. You know, like, um, I, I was, I got really, you know, I'm watching a lot of cartoons with, um, uh, my kids and I started getting really interested in the Chuck Jones backgrounds, you know, yeah. and the background artists that he, uh, you know, worked with. And, you know, I found all these Tumblr blogs that are about the, you know, we talked about Moomin earlier. Yeah. There are all these Moomin blogs. You know, it's like start celebrating the things you're really interested in and be a fan first. I think you know? in the illustration world, uh, there's not a lot of grace. And there, I think that there there's the, they celebrate the whole you know original genius thing i think and and i think there's a lot of young illustrators that are afraid to be a part of a group and i always encourage them to say that like you know these people that that a lot of the folks are thinking are these one-off geniuses like in 10 years or 20 years looking back you're going to see that they were a part of greater movements and they might not even know it at the time. And, and, and what I've seen is like the students that are willing to, to risk it a little bit. And, and, you know, sometimes like some of the students that I see go on to do the most original work and the best work and have the most success are the most obviously influenced by a particular movement in, while they're in mm. school. Um, and I kind of just encourage a little bit of grace there where I'm like, you know, like, be excited and jump into that movement. Um, you know. Yeah. The other thing I would say to students or young people starting out is um, know the difference between a network and a community. Mm. Um, and this sounds weird because we use the word online community a lot. But um, I would as much as possible um, because I feel like this generation is probably – you know, what the hell do I know about a 20 year old? I mean, (laughs) you know, I can tell you about a two year old, but I know nothing about 20 year olds right now. (laughs) Um, but you know what, uh, what I would put something I've been really terrible about in my career is I've put all my energy into networks and almost zero energy into communities. And what I mean by that is, um, I've put all my energy into becoming a node on a on a on a network online, mm. and then what I've done is I've tried to use the relationships. I've tried to turn my online relationships into um, meet space relationships. You know, to try to you know bring them into the quote unquote real world, which isn't really you know. I mean, like right. it doesn't even. I mean, the web, I see it as literally a web over the world now. I mean, like, yeah. the, the difference between the real world and the virtual world is almost like, you know, we're in some science fiction novel. But <laughs> the, the, the thing I would say about a community is I really think a community is a group of people living in proximity to each other. Mm. Uh, and they get to be – the thing about a network that I am worried about um, – specifically about online networks is that there is a push to be one thing 
and one thing only mm. uh, to people. So, for example, um, online, uh, when you follow me, I'm Mr. Like, you know, artsy fartsy creativity helper person, whatever, you know. Um, but, you know, um, the, there are, there, are, I am always balancing out um, trying to express myself as a whole person online. Mm. Um, versus, uh, being, uh, just doing what I know people want from me and what's valuable and interesting to them. Yeah. Right. What we talked about before, um, which is a network wants you to be one thing and to do that one thing kind of well, and deliver that value kind of consistently. Right. Whereas a community to me is about being a whole member of the whole human, just Mm. a whole person and a personality and one of the things that i would um you know encourage young people to do is to try to pour at least you know a third to a half of the energy uh you pour into your online networks as into your communities Mm -hmm. and into trying to get a community and and i'm thinking particularly about i think that young people who um i think studying like kind of the the um the kind of 80s or 90s underground music scene is really valuable in this way. Um, there's yeah. a band called There's a um, There's a book called Our Band Could Be Your Life. Um, that's about um, some of the bands in the 80s and the ways that they kind of built communities and networks. Um, and I without the internet. And I right. think that's really instructive because. Um, but I mean, this is a feeling that I have. So I'm thinking of some collectives that I've known throughout the years. I mean, what, you talked about, you know, not wanting to be seen as part of a crew. I yeah. actually think one. Um, I actually think something that young people could do that I think is really powerful is to form a kind of gang, totally, a kind of a, a kind of collective, like to get your parents to throw, you know, get your parents to give you enough money to buy some you know, foreclosed house in Detroit and move into mm. it with a bunch of your friends and c- give it a name and start some sort of collective, you know. Um, there was a there was a place in Austin, um, I don't know if they're still all doing stuff together, but there was a little group called Public School that those guys yeah, were like... Yeah, I know those guys. And they were always kind of, um, you know, they, they always struck me, you know, they worked on projects together and they used the kind of collective name public school to kind of like legitimize yeah their group and yep. then they all kind of like went in their own ways but that that is something that i don't think young people i mean pull your resources together totally and you know and There's i just said yeah totally like legitimizes what you're doing just by having that yeah. collective effort where you're partnering all of a sudden it seems legit uh, rather well, than just someone trying to get yeah. some off the ground I mean, it's so easy to start a gang. You just totally. like come up with a name and like, yeah, we're the Beatles. And <laughs> you know? yeah. You're just like, and everyone's like the Beatles, what? <laughs> you know, but I think that I like that idea. And you see it a lot in co-working spaces. I mean, mm. you see that kind of idea that like, oh, there's value in like being a, you know, that's one thing, like hanging out in a certain space and kind of being influenced by the people who come through, but like a real collective, like a real group of people who kind of share like maybe not an aesthetic, but an ethos, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm like looking around my garage and how big it is (laughs) and like how many like desks there are. And I'm like, you know, it would be fun if I had a couple of other dudes that, you know, weren't 
you know, that we got together and we had some sort of, you know, collective. Yes. Uh, that, that's always really appealed to me. I always think about it like, because uh, I've done a lot of collaborations and they've been a big part of my career. And uh, I don't think I invented this idea, but uh, I can't remember where it came from. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll attribute it to wh- whoever. But uh, <laughs> this idea of uh, one plus one equals three, this idea of like, Right. Um, and I, I actually do know that you have something like that in your book, but I think it's a different point that you're making um, where the idea that when I collaborate with a friend, our network all of a sudden and our output goes from my stuff, his stuff uh, put together, all of a sudden now there's this third entity, which is us together. And it just seems yeah. to like really expand things in a, in a compounding kind of way. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's totally what I'm talking about is like, but, but, you know, more than, and, and to me, that's, that's kind of why, um, I find, um, you know, for, uh, I also think that, um, I think that something that I've discovered in my uh, own creative work is that to everything, there's a season Mm. that, 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 um, one point that, one of my friends brought up, my friend Hugh McLeod brought up the other day when we were talking, as he said, seniuses have a shelf life. Oh, that if you think about some of the great scenes, um, they didn't last very long. Yeah. A lot of them. You know, that maybe they had like a five or ten year run, but like, you know, these seniuses pop up and they kind of like, they work really well for people and then people kind of split apart and they don't need them anymore. They go out on their own. And and I think that there's, you know, there's kind of, um, there's kind of that, I have that kind of feeling. Me too. I get nostalgic about some of the old collaborations and old like crews and realizing that it's just kind of like a carcass if you go back to it. Like you just can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't remake that thing. Yeah, um, it's um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, but but um, I think that uh, I you know, um, I I my my biggest I I think that any young artist or creative person who has not seen Bill Cunningham, New York, mm. I think everyone should watch that documentary. I and think well. I think you should watch it. All right. It's, I think Someone it's on listen. Netflix. Yeah. Bill Cunningham died this year. He was yeah. a photographer. Yep. And Bill said this thing that I think is so true, and it has been, you know, um, a real kind of green light that beckons to me, which is um, that uh, if you don't take money. You, they can't tell you what to do. Right. Yeah. And I'll so say good. that again. If you don't take their money, they can't tell you what to do. And what, and Bill Cunningham was very he, what he was talking about is that financial freedom means uh, artistic freedom. Mm-hmm. That if you're not, if there's not money at stake, well, then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, and you can, and that you know, you should try as hard as you can to get things in fiscal order so that you can kind of have a little bit of creative chaos, yes. you know, in do, your life. Do you know, uh, Paul Rand? He was like a, you know, sure. yeah. So he, he I know him well. He <laughs> no, I'm, of course. Yeah, no, I know him. He, uh, I, yeah, I didn't know like how, how versed in the design world you were, but, uh, uh, <laughs> he had a really interesting quote that he said, the, uh, former president, 
of uh, RISD, he told uh, in like a Yoda moment, he said, um, make tons of money. <laughs> John Maynard's <laughs> like, that's not what Yoda says. And he's like, no, but if you make, if you make loads of money, then you can work on the stuff that you want to work on. Uh, and I think that it's true. I, I do think that, that, you know, that's not bad advice for an artist if, if it's an option. Well, my friend, my friend Hugh has this thing uh, in his book, Ignore Everybody, which is a great read if you're starting out too. Um, yeah. it, it was kind of an influence on Steel Like an Artist. Um, yeah. But, he, you know, he has this sex and cash theory. Mm. And, and his theory is that there's always the sexy job and there's always the cash job. Right. Like there's always the thing that really pays the bills. And then there's the really sexy thing. Yeah. And so you've got someone like Paul Rand who does, you know, his more like um, wacky you know, stuff. And then yeah. there's his client work, you know, mm -hmm. the IBM logo or whatever. He did do that, right? I yep, didn't. Just that's show right. Me. You're right on. Okay, great. So <laughs> I'm faking my way as the yeah. field designer that I am. Um, it sounds so, like you really know your stuff. Well, I, you know, I did do web design for like three and a half years. Yeah. So I dipped into that nerdy design waters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it's hard. I, but I think um, one thing that I think students and people starting out should take, um, it's really scary, but it's also um, a little bit liberating, is that everyone in America is having trouble. I mean, every, every, no one is, um, you know, I mean, we're all, everyone's a major illness away from not being true. above water. Totally you true. Know? I mean, and so I think that, you know, most artsy fartsy people are going to be more inclined to, you know, support, you know, social services and stuff yeah. like that anyway. But true. I think that, you know, um, I would really encourage creative people do not separate yourselves from the rest of the world mm -hmm. in terms of what you deserve. Like you deserve nothing. Like everyone deserves affordable health care. Right. Everyone deserves a decent wage. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, so, yeah. and so th that is always, I get very, very like not angry, but I just get agitated when people talk about like artists rights or like, right. yeah. you know, blah, blah, blah. Like it's yeah, like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, yes, uh, I do. But, but I think that, um, you know, I think it's hard for everyone. So you might as well, like, you know, you might as well go for it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love that. And uh, I want to just real quick. I don't. I want to be uh, respectful of your time. We've been we've been in a in a pretty big sesh already. But sure. uh, but just back to that. Um, we're talking about geography and and community versus networks. And actually, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about whether your opinions or thoughts on uh, geography versus online have adapted and changed since 2012 because, um, you know, from my point of view, I, I really built my career online. And uh, nowadays, though, I'm really pushing students to think about um, where they live and, and being yeah. involved in the geography because not, you know, we thought it was going to make geography irrelevant when it just made it a premium. Um, you know, where you live. Uh, you, have you changed your thoughts about that? I know you talk about leaving home and, and all that too, but um, it sounds like maybe you're, you're having some new ideas about um, your geographical location. 
Well, you know, I think you should get to a place that feeds you in many ways. You know, I think you should get to a place that feeds you creatively, feeds you literally, and feeds you spiritually and yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I also think that um, if I were young and starting out in America and I wanted to do something creative, I would get as far away from – these uh cultural hot spots, hot spots <laughs> yeah, as i me could too. Yes, i mean i absolutely. really i really would not and that's really what i good advice because i i just um when you think about what rent in san francisco or new york or even austin texas is now yeah um it just once again if you don't need the money it 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 frees you up for other things so mm. i'm constantly pointing people towards the Midwest and, you know, like, uh, there are parts of North Carolina that are really nice and lots of things going on. There's, there's, but all over the country, there Mm -hmm. are places where, um, you know, that I just think that, um, I think you really need to think about, I'm constantly thinking about leaving Austin. I mean, I'm, I mean, Austin's become so expensive. Um, and I'm really not in a point in my life where I'm getting that much out of the city right now. Yeah. I don't go out a lot. I live in a really nice neighborhood, but I don't, um, you know, I don't go to shows. I don't, you know, I'm not, it's, I'm not out that much. And so a city doesn't really even do that much for me. So, mm. you know, I'm looking around the Midwest thinking, you know, maybe I should buy a couple acres somewhere yeah. and, you know, kind of get even more isolated than I already am, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, look for these places. I, I would look and, you know, all kinds of artists are saying this. I mean, you got Patty Smith, um, Patty Smith got up and said for a bunch of young people, she's like, New York's over. Mm. We did it. Like we, we, that was my generation. We came to New York and we made it this way and mm. we ruined it. So you go <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like you go and, Find a new place. Find the Detroits. Find yeah. the St. Louis's. Find the Kansas Cities. Find the. I'm thinking about all the places I've been, and like I, the the Milwaukee's, the you know, just all these pockets of you know, just these interesting places that are not sexy necessarily, yes. but that that have communities of really interesting people doing interesting work. And everywhere I go, I'm kind of blown away by the stuff that's sprouting up. And we moved to. Uh, Columbus, Ohio, about a, a little, about two years ago now. And that to me is like such a good balance. It's like affordable, but there's also world-class like creativity going on right here too. Um, and so yeah. like, yeah, it's, well, Columbus is one of those places that, um, is always interesting to me cause I, I will never move back because yeah. I'm from Circleville <laughs> down the road. You know yeah, that, right? Yeah. yeah, I do. So, um, I, I can't move back cause it's just <laughs> too close to home, but yeah. Um, it's amazing. Well, what about bringing the elixir home in the, (laughs) there's a time and place where you have to come home, right? Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, but I never really, I mean, Columbus was a place that you drove 45 minutes to get to and hang out. So maybe it would be all right. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, I'm constantly, my wife's from Cleveland and I'm always, um, you know, uh, uh, when I'm thinking about the boys, mm-hmm. um, I'm always like, you know, you've got uh, Columbus too. You know, we've got a great art museum. But like, yeah. I'm always thinking about Cleveland, and I'm always like, well, world class art museum, world class symphony. Those are like the two things that I love more mm-hmm. than anything. And Austin doesn't have those. Mm-hmm. 
like Austin does not have a world-class art museum. Yeah. Sorry, Blanton. Um, <laughs> it does not have, you know, does not have a world-class symphony. Like, the, you know, Austin, the, the problem with Austin right now is just the, and I don't want this to be like a pick on Austin <laughs> session, but it's, yeah. um, uh, it, it is, it wants to put on big pants, but it's still, uh, the types of culture it has is not necessarily, it just depends on what kind of culture you're looking right. for. If you yeah. love to eat tacos and go see bands. I had some good barbecue there recently. Text, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, so, but, um, uh, you know, but I think the Columbuses of America, I think like cities that are, that are like reinventing themselves, they're, they're kind of like concentrating on their downtowns and mm -hmm. revitalizing and stuff like that. I mean, the thing that blew me away, like I, you know, cause the cool thing about, um, what I do now is I get to travel a lot and then I get to, you know, go on book tours and, and see places and yeah. get taken around by people who are interesting and doing things. I am constantly like amazed by places that most people on the coast just completely write off. Absolutely. Um, like someplace like Kansas city, which just blew my mind when I went out there. Cause like I went to Kansas city and I was there, uh, you know, you look at it on the map and you're just like, Oh my God, this is in the middle. <laughs> Not that Austin, Texas isn't in the middle of nowhere because yeah. it is, yeah. but you know, you look and you're like, man, but you go there, and um, I went there on like a one of their third Thursdays or something, and it was like an arts, you know, every Thursday all the galleries were open, mm. and I just couldn't believe it. There were all these people and just music everywhere, and yeah. just like it was so vibrant, and it was interesting because I was like, Austin could never do this because yeah. it doesn't have any kind of, it's just not built this way, and you mm. couldn't get people to come out for this. Um, and then, uh, someplace like Raleigh or the like research triangle area of New North Carolina, I think is just like really interesting. I did a couple of conferences in Raleigh recently and there are just all these people super into it and, you know, making stuff happen and co-working spaces yeah. and collectives like we were talking about. So, you know, I would really push um students and young people is to like just figure out those kind of uncharted places or places they're on the rise and i think another thing that you know i try to encourage uh people just starting out is like it you know if you really bet if you can figure out how to bet on yourself enough to think like you know we can actually go somewhere uh it'll actually be less of a bottleneck if we go somewhere that's maybe a little bit underdeveloped and believe that we have the talent and, and work ethic to like start making something happen. Like you're more likely to get, um, something interesting out of that. Back to your point about like being different rather than, you know, being first, like being in Brooklyn or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that for me, it's like, I remember starting out wanting, thinking that you're going to have to go mingle with, uh, the hot shots of your industry <laughs> and start work your way into those circles. And that's the only way it's going to work. And what I found was like the people that ended up really helping me out, uh, in my network were people that I graduated with, you know, five years oh, down cool. the line. Yeah. Those are the people that are, they're doing interesting things and we're creating a different scene. Um, yeah. you know, so interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and the big cities, I mean, you know, every time I go to San Francisco, Especially like I, I was just there. I had a show in North Beach and like I just like I love it there. Yeah. I love the weather. I love 
I mean, when you go to San Francisco in July, when you're coming from Texas, yeah. you're just like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> yeah. And you know, all, like, I have yeah. so, you know, I have so many friends there and it's so great and it is wonderful. But yes. then I start talking to them and it's like, well, yeah, my studio costs as much as your house does yeah. like a month. <laughs> yes. And, and I think, and so I'm in San Francisco and I'm just like, this is such a wonderful place, but I know myself mm-hmm. and I know that I would constantly, first of all, I couldn't afford to live. I would have to live up in like Marin or, yeah. you know, like so far away. That, yeah. But then, but then like I would feel so pressured yes. all the time to work and to do work that was lucrative and to really churn stuff out that I feel very much like I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really explore. I couldn't mm-hmm. really do things that weren't on, that were risky. you know, weren't were risky or, you know, unproductive or, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's why I stay here in Austin. Yeah. And even Austin is kind of expensive. Now, yeah. I mean, I could downgrade. I mean, I could, you know, I could sell my place here in Austin and move somewhere else and have like a lot more, you know, a lot more cushion mm-hmm. too. But you want to balance. I also have, I, you know, I know so many people in Austin and, you know, there's people who come here and I, I see every year because this is like, an, a, you know, it's a place that people come now. And so there's just all these things to balance. But I think if you're young and starting out, I would just really encourage uh, people who are coming up right now, like read about, you know, read about like, I, read that book, Our Band Could Be Your Life. Like, yeah. think about the DIY scene. And, like, I think the best part of America, I think the best thing about being an American is the kind of scrappy, yeah. we're out in the middle of nowhere, we're going to make something ourselves. Yes. Like, this, the kind of DIY, like, DIY is America to me. Mm. It's like, we're out in the middle of freaking nowhere. But guess what? We're going to make something happen. I think like, there's an gonna... optimism to that. Yeah, I mean, that's the best That's the best that America has to offer, yep. I think. And, I and if you're going to live here and if you're going to be a citizen, like, that's the that's what you got to do. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to make the best, you know, that I can out of this wilderness, mm-hmm. cultural and, you know, yeah. <laughs> landscape Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. Yeah, backwater. So yes. Well, I, yeah, I grew up in Indiana, and so I'm not even from Ohio. And Ohio yeah. seems like culture <laughs> island. I'm, I'm not. I don't want to diss. I'm not dissing Indiana. I don't want to diss I my home state. But I, I did. I, you know, yeah. I didn't even grow up in the city, so I grew up in like a really right. small area in Indiana, and there just wasn't art. You know, yeah. I, t- I said the the most art that I had in my life was my dad's Phil Collins album. <laughs> that was it. That was the cultural <laughs> moments that I had. And actually, That's the amazing. Phil Collins videos were actually pretty sweet. Like, the, <laughs> the weird, like, uh, puppets and stuff. We're definitely due for a Phil Collins resurgence. Yes, um, he's, you know, he's, he's, he, it's so going to come. Yeah. It's oh. coming. So. <laughs> What a smart and generous, just all-around lovely dude. It was so fantastic to have him on the podcast. Uh, I was really, really excited about that. So thanks, Austin. Really appreciate it. Thanks for all the creative wisdom. Thanks to Yoni Wolf of the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and his band Metavari for all the other tunes. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks to all of you guys for listening. It means so much to me. 
Guys, don't forget to stay pepped up. 